This is episode 561 of the Macworld Podcast for May 31st, 2017. Howdy ho, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, senior contributor at Macworld, Glenn Fleischman, and joining me is senior editor Roman Loyola. Hello, Roman. Hello, how's it going, Glenn? Good, good. Just clearing the pipes out here. Got a holiday day off, and that throws us all off. I mean, I'm a freelancer, so I'm, I'm laughing. I'm, I'm technically, I don't know what, I had a three-hour meeting in my house yesterday, so uh, not really the same thing as a holiday. Although I was talking about book binding and, um, and typesetting, so I don't know if that counts. That was sort of fun. I like that. <laughs> so it's technically a meeting, but about fine art book production. Um, Speaking of fine art production, not at all. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, a variety of news this week as we go into the Worldwide Developer Conference, which starts next Monday. And Roman, you'll be on site at the keynote address as we discover all of Apple's new secrets that have uh, not at all been leaking out in the weeks leading up to WWDC. Yes, I'll be attending, and you can watch the keynote. On the Apple will provide a live stream on oh, the they internet will. if you're oh, interested. Yeah, they usually interested they're doing more of that. I wasn't sure if they're going to do that with the. That's great. I think because not every event they have they've been streaming more and more, but not every event. I think, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's actually now become every uh, every event they do. That's cool. Yeah, it seems like it. I think they've worked out some kind of uh, system. I don't remember if they used to. Uh, outsource it in the past and now they've done it oh, in-house kind of interesting. I, I, I remember hearing something like that i, I may, might be completely wrong in terms of how that how how that worked but there was something internally that they've decided to uh broadcast mo- i think almost all their events now even like the ipad event that they do in the fall and stuff like that so what was the event where the chinese started to appear during that was it chinese dialogue appeared oh, right. during some <laughs> streaming thing that may have been when they decided maybe we need to do this on our own at that right. point. But, no, right. it's great. I mean, it's it's good because not everyone's going to stop everything they do to you know watch a keynote. But it's also it's one thing to have people there and then represent it, and it's or or have Apple post it hours or days later, uh, and it's another one you can kind of just follow along and see if you're interested in the up to the minute uh, confirmations of or or rejections of various things. This is what's fun about Apple is they don't you know release a roadmap. Typically, we know something about the upcoming Macs. Uh, because they made that extraordinary move, um, upcoming meaning like the future of the Mac Pro having a future and so forth. Uh, but we don't really know. We have all these rumors, and they sometimes make changes at the last minute. So there are rumors that seem very well confirmed and very reliable, and then the thing doesn't happen. And it turns out later they just felt it wasn't ready. They thought it needs to go back in. There's a software issue, whatever, and three months later it comes out. Or in the case of some of the uh, – uh, so the bundling for Apple TV for TV programming, it's never happened yet. We don't still have an Apple uh, streaming cable channel style or premium channel or whatever bundle. And um, that was originally expected to come, I think, in mid-2015 or it was going to be announced then and then uh, come out that fall. So um, despite what you may have heard, don't know what will, in fact, happen. It's exciting. Yeah, WWDC tends to be in the past, it has been more software oriented. So they oper- you know, they focus on the operating systems. But I think, you know, with a lot of attention that uh, Google I/O draws nowadays, yeah, and also, like you said, with Apple having that unprecedented talk with select media's about media members about their future hardware developments, you know, we could see some uh, announce hardware announcements 
next week. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be a big show. It's a lot of stuff that's expected, and it feels like there's kind of a backlog of things they need to announce. But um, yeah, we got a few news stories, uh, a few interesting things before we get into um, the, the wish list, not predictions, but kind of what we're hoping will come. We've got There's a series of stories that will be going up this week at Macworld. A couple of them are up uh, as we post this podcast on Wednesday and uh, more to come. But uh, a few things we've, uh, we've run, these are, some of these are uh, crossover stories. Uh, I think three of them are crossover stories that reflect on the Mac and uh, Apple platform. But I'm, uh, I'm sort of interested because it's always good for us to step back if you're inside the ecosystem and see what's going on elsewhere. And Apple is lagged in a lot of ways. So um, even though they have a great – I want to say there's a better overall ecosystem for a lot of things with Apple – than uh, many of the competing systems like Amazon or or Google or you know Microsoft, which doesn't really have a mobile offering as such at the moment um, that fits in there. But so um, a couple of Macworld writers uh, looked at uh, Galaxy S8's camera and compared it to the iPhone 7 Plus. Um, I have an iPhone 7 Plus. My main phone is a 6S, and I haven't yet made the shift over. I bought a 7 Plus for the photography because of the dual lenses, and I will often – it's sort of embarrassing. I carry both when I'm like, well, I don't want to carry my, I have a, a little mirrorless camera. I really like, but it's a little bit of a bulky thing. So I went to, uh, my son was playing at a, um, the Ballard sedentary Sousa band, uh, at this local, um, music festival. They, they play Sousa, but they don't march. They sit. And uh, a lot of older people in the band, so they don't march. But I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be near a stage, but it's far enough away. I'm like, well, I could bring my, my mirrorless, but, it's a little bit of a hassle. I'm like, well, I got another camera here. I have my 7 Plus, so I brought that with me and took some great pictures because of the the uh, telephoto lens, and it's overall better quality than the 6S. Um, so I was very interested to see how the Galaxy S8 compared to it because it's it, at some level has a lot of similar specifications uh, as the uh, 7 Plus, um, the 7 Plus's main uh, wide-angle lens. And uh, with two lenses, Apple talks about doing synthetic images um, where they're combining detail from the telephoto lens gets pushed into the middle of a wide angle lens. It's supposed to give more detail in an area that might otherwise have less. And um, this side by side uh, by uh, Adam Patrick Murray and Oscar Raimundo, they looked at um, several different categories, took a bunch of photos and Roman, it feels like the seven plus did not perform uh, that terrifically. They, they found the, uh, the, the galaxy S eight, had um, it really kind of uh, beat out in all these look at these categories range color and so forth. There are a couple places the iPhone Seven Plus acquitted itself okay, but uh, it's a little disappointing to not have Apple have the best uh, you know combination of hardware and software here. So that's uh, in- worth checking out. Not like someone's going to switch phones for the camera, but still good to see the side by sides. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. Um, I forget when did the S8? When was that released? It was it released uh, pretty recently, right? Yeah, this is just from last week. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So the S8. I mean, that's one of the advantages that Samsung has is that they have a looser release schedule, 
than Apple does. Apple, you well, know, pretty SA, much comes. I thought you said the SA. I'm sorry, the S8. Oh, I'm so unhip. I'm so unhip. He wants an article, but he wanted to call it being fancy and call it an essay. I'm not going to contradict you. Yes. Um, it's an academic no, sorry, essay. It was, last, it, was last, it was April. I beg your pardon. It was yeah. April was released. The article was from last So week. the Galaxy S8, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work on my enunciation. No, my, no, the, no, the Galaxy just, S8. My brain did the work there. So, but, uh, you know, Samsung comes out with cameras, different, you know, models of cameras, pretty much at their own whim. You know, they they have different models and, you know, different series of cameras that they can release when they want to release them. Whereas Apple has this one, you know, they pretty much have one yeah. release cycle. It's an annual release cycle. And, you know, the, the uh, this, I don't know, it, I'm sure that... This is something of an advantage for Samsung that they can have a more recent camera come out with with that has the most recent technology uh, incorporated in their camera, and that can be a disadvantage for the iPhone at times. Well, and there's interesting like little details, right? Is that Samsung can say, "Oh, they put a you know the the, the seven plus has a f one point eight lens on the wide angle lens." The S8 has a f1.7, and while that sounds slight, you know the f-stop thing is this weird inverse uh, ratio that I always have to go look up. So, like one right. point, that point one difference is actually, I don't know, it's probably like a ten percent difference in light or an eight percent difference in yeah. light. Something there's a you have That's to look a big at this difference. Curve. Yeah, so suddenly they can capture more light, so they're going to get better images in dark areas. They might be able to capture more detail. They might be more pronounced, whatever. But they can also they can be using the seven plus in their labs and calibrating against it and say. Hey, look, they got Apple can get this out of it. We need to do better and be pushing their software team with uh, something that's a direct comparison. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I expect Apple is always testing uh, other cameras because there are other phones to see if competitors have eked out a better performance from similar components. And because it's a kind of thing of you know what your own capabilities are, and you push a development team, but then you say, look, this other company. We have a commercial product from them, and they were able to do X. So we know it's feasible, which means we should be able right. to push past X. So this is why competition is good too. Is the camera phones or the cameras in the phones uh, get better because everyone is pushing to have that bragging right. So I, I, I'd kind of dig that. That should mean that the iPhone eight or whatever number eight seven S plus cameras should be super fabulous as a result. Yeah, yeah. I really like the 7 Plus shooting, but I do get – I mean, it's got a, the P3 color space, and you can tell the difference in some photos. If I'm looking at it on the um, – because I've got a iPad Pro, the smaller one that has the P3 uh, color space in True Tone. I've got the 7 Plus and the uh, 6S and a MacBook, and so I can see – Sometimes I've looked at vivid colors across them, and um, the P3 color space is a lot nicer. So, uh, you know, hopefully everything Apple will be shipping in the future uh, will have that richer space, and that's going to be – that's great for photography. Let's see. The other thing – oh, yeah, a couple few other things. Uh, Jason Snell looked at um, Google Photos versus uh, iPhoto Cloud Library, and – Roman, I think you know this since you edit my Mac 911 columns. <laughs> uh, Sometimes we should call it Photos 911. Oh I know. I thought at times, like, do we just need a dedicated photos answer? But I think it's it's too mixed for that. But I swear, uh, I, you know, I, I joke about like 50% of the volume to the Mac 911. You know, just to reiterate to folks, you want to send in questions, Mac 911 at macworld.com. We welcome those and um, try to answer as many as possible. 
uh, but a lot of them fall into the same category. And I, and I joke, it's like 50% are about photos, uh, 50% are about merging Apple IDs, and 50% are about other things. So I, I'm not good at math in that respect. But, uh, but you know, so many questions about things like I can't delete photos off my um, phone. And sometimes that's because you synced via iTunes at some point. And you have albums that are locked over kind of a USB connection, but even then people can't get it unlocked. They'll go and do all the stuff Apple and I tell them to do, and they still can't. They have to like erase their phone and restore it to break that link. Uh, a lot of stuff about iPhoto cloud library, uh, people finding um, that they, you know, they are confused about when you delete. And I've written now what two columns I think about if you delete a photo and it says it's deleted forever, everywhere it really is. Or people thinking they've deleted and it's still in their recently deleted folder or album, they go there and it's not there. So a lot of like tweaky things, but uh, Jason looked at kind of gave a side by side of, um, Google Photos, which I also use. I kind of run them in parallel so that I can do compare and contrast. And uh, this is a question for Apple. We'll talk about that in our WWDC wish list. But this is a question about, you know, are is Apple really going to try to step up its game? Because Photos has kind of got some – the Photos ecosystem and iCloud Photo Library have a lot of work to do, don't they? They really feel kind of weak at times in comparison. To me, my personal experience plus editing your columns – I have avoided using iPhoto, uh, iCloud Photo Library, and <laughs> well, Photo Software. Photo. Right, yeah. iCloud Photo Library. Yes, right. Yeah, I, I avoid using those that, those services and that software because of those issues. It's just it's more hassle than I want to deal with, yeah. and so I do everything manually and. It makes it I, – I, I can't sift through my photos because it's impossible because I, I don't have an interface because I just basically manage files on my storage. I would like to use it, and I, I don't want to use Google's because I, I just have issues using with Google's – using a lot of Google stuff, you know, a lot of the privacy issues and things like that. That's not necessarily in, in relation to the photos, but just in general. And I want to use Apple's products, but – you know, there's just there's just so many issues with those products that it's it's more of a hassle than it's worth to me. So I avoid using them, and when I try to use them, it just drives me crazy. And I think, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm just going to go back to my old old ways of doing things. So, yeah, I would like to see them. You know, to me, I don't know if it needs a revamp. You know, to break it down and build it back up again. Maybe it's it's too people's libraries are too big right now, and you can't do that because uh, then you'll just cause even more chaos. But it's yeah, it just needs to get better, and I don't know if it can get better right away. So you have to wonder what they're working on for the last year with it, or how much attention they we, you know we we have this running running concern that Apple is not putting enough attention into either. Uh, Mac software that it makes and often Mac software that precludes the existence of competing software because it sucked all the oxygen out of the, out of that particular niche. So it's like, there is no other people ask me for another native app that would replace uh, photos. And I am unaware of anything that offers the same feature set because everything that's similar is really a cloud-based um, service. And so you have to yeah. upload to get the advantages. So there, I mean, there are other software packages for doing app uh, uh, photo uh, management, but none of them is, you know, there's just not, no one can sell enough to make it worth putting enough development money in to compete with photos. And right. um, so Apple either needs to step up and take responsibility for 
uh, owning an ecosystem or a niche in the ecosystem uh, or, you know, make it possible for third parties to do the same. And, you know, Jason marks this with his uh, Google uh, photos in iOS. It tries to be as helpful as uh, the photos app and the background stuff, but photos has a privileged position in iOS is that when you take a picture and you've got iCloud photo library enabled, it's automatically uploaded and Google can't do quite that. So, uh, because it can run in the background, but it can't, doesn't have the same privileges. It's not always notified when photos released. Sometimes iOS dumps third party apps, you know, background things. They're not reliable to always run because of other memory issues and blah, blah, blah. Um, the big thing, and I, I'll talk about this a little more in the wish list too, I think, is that uh, Google has that, um, and this is that gets to that creepy point, as I was pointing out to my wife the other night. It's like, oh, yeah, I can just search on, you know, uh, my son's face and look there, it's all, and she's like, wait, did it recognize? And like, yep, it knows all of, <laughs> it even suggests which ones are his face, and uh, it's all Google. It's just like, huh. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it's problematic. Um, and Apple took the other approach, which is that all when it upgraded its facial recognition in Sierra, uh, it said all of this is going to be local. And then it said, sort of, you know, I had edited some articles about that. It said, well, we'll, you'll be able to sync it somehow between devices. And then that sort of disappeared as a feature. So now uh, I've got, you know, four iOS devices and macOS devices collectively that I use regularly interchangeably. And I have four different sets of facial recognition on them. And I've trained my Macs best because I did most of the testing there, but uh, the other three don't sync. So if I want to have any faces recognized there, I've had to separately identify and clarify them. So that's a terrible, terrible thing. It should have been addressed after shipping, and they never did. So one can hope. Um, and that's something Google, because Google does the centralized approach. Right? Like Google is like a cloud-based company with outposts. You like have an app that lets you kind of look into the cloud and it'll cache stuff. Apple is a sync service, really. It like the cloud is kind of a repository, but your endpoints are where stuff lives. And it's never done well with things like iPhoto or iCloud photo library because it wants to cache as little as possible. Um, if you have like the optimized feature turned on, it does that explicitly. Uh, if you don't, then you have full resolution of everything, which is too much for iOS devices. So it's still like because it's an it, the smarts are at the end and the center is kind of this sync service. It just Google has a lot more power to offer because it's putting all the power in the middle. Um, all the intelligence is in the cloud, and that's for for better or for worse. And so you know it, it's arguable that uh, if you're worried about your faces being recognized and and <laughs> transformed by Google's data services and something being done with that, um, then it's better to have your intelligence locked away on on the endpoints, but it's a fundamentally different approach. And I don't think it serves uh, Apple well here to not have uh, poked at that more, but we should see what will happen. Cause uh, this is an area of competition because you know, Google wants to have our photos. So it wants to store them and it's pricing is cheaper and everything else. So yeah, I also want to highlight a piece that uh, Gordon Ung from PC world wrote about Thunderbolt three that I think is terrific. And anyone interested in the, a uh, little bit of the nitty gritty, not doesn't go down super deep into like, you know, protocol issues, but why Thunderbolt three kind of came out of nowhere and now is the dominant standard as much or as little as, or as much as you like it as a consumer. And as little as much as you get irritated about USB-C or what have you, um, the, the fact is that Thunderbolt three is the winner and there's no other competing high speed um, standard that's coming. Um, and you know, USB three is inside, uh, and Thunderbolt three is backwards compatible with USB three. Uh, everything will use a USB C connector and, um, it's kind of it Roman, like got a, got a standard that's fast and it works apparently. 
Yeah, so last week, uh, Intel revealed that future CPUs will actually have Thunderbolt on the CPU. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. It's going to be in the, yes. main, the main system. So uh, Right. So instead of a separate, I, I believe there used to be a sep- separate Thunderbolt controller, if I'm understanding this correctly. Yeah, and I think so, it delayed the adoption a bit. And it's also, it's, I think Gordon measured slight, it, it puts a slight speed impediment on it too. Right, just because it has to go through, yeah. It's, it, but now it's going to be on the CPU. So does it mean that it won because it's on the CPU now and it's going to come with every... CPU or so it's de facto there already, or is it one, you know, is, is it a combination of that and the throughput mm-hmm. that makes it win? You know, in, in any case, you know, I think this is, it's even though Gordon's articles speaks more from a PC standpoint and a more general standpoint, you know, it's, it's a good thing for Apple because this means that if there are more Thunderbolt devices, you're going to see, I mean, more Thunderbolt uh, computers Thunderbolt-based computers, you're yeah. going to see more devices, and maybe that'll help drive the prices down a little bit, and you'll see a wider adoption of Thunderbolt, and that that benefits the consumer. Yeah, I think that's been one of the issues about, um, I mean, USB-C with just, this is so hard to talk about, too, like USB-C is a connector type, and it runs various standards over it, and it's kind of ecumenical, and that's very confusing, because right. it's like, it's, the connector isn't the thing. This is like the DisplayPort the mini display port connector and Thunderbolt two still confusing people because of the display standards. Like, well, one is a standard called the same thing as the standard and it runs one kind of thing. The other is <laughs> uses the connector, but it's a different kind of standard, but it supports the standard. Ah, users confused. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the part of the issue has been the complexity and cost of integrating a separate uh, controller board and availability of that. And so if you can just get it on the chip as part of what you pay for as a system manufacturer, uh, the rest of it becomes, I believe, much more trivial and uh, makes it much more likely that we'll see faster adoption across the broader PC ecosystem. And, you know, it helps Apple ultimately because they'll be buying chips from um, Intel as long as they like the integrated solution that uh, make it cheaper, faster, better as well. Um, uh, you know, you know me. I'm a I'm a USB C fan. I know it has a lot of issues, but um, but I am a fan. And and Gordon runs down you know pros and cons and kind of why there's been confusion and and uh, how it got to this point. But um, he's a little you know he's uh, I want to say his he, his conversations of mine about USB C and Thunderbolt three. It's he it's more about the stuff that's not fully in spec that people uh, companies making products that don't necessarily adhere and some of the dangers of, of being able to use products that don't adhere and could damage equipment, although maybe it's kind of a small area. Um, but I think uh, he has agreed on how useful it is to have a single uh, format moving forward. And speaking of moving forward, uh, there's uh, just one note. This I saw this in a few places. People who uh, watch the Apple support notes for um, when products reach end of life, which I even forget that Apple does that, but they, they'll come a point when they say we can no longer repair such and such in the Apple store. It's no longer accepted for repair. And the 2011 MacBook Air and Pro models uh, have are reaching end of life June 30th. So you won't be able to go into an Apple store or use Apple service, even paying for it to get a repair of those products, except if you're in California or the country of Turkey, which have different rules <laughs> like that. Slightly different rules. So you can read. There's a detail. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. There's details about that. So if you're in California, you still have certain options for iPods and uh, Apple uh, laptops and other things for a while longer. Um, 
And uh, I always recommend, you know, I fix it. Other places like that that have genuine Apple parts or have uh, replacement parts that are that work just as well. I'm, I had a replaced battery in an iPhone recently. I had to put a um, SSD in a Mac Mini, and they sell all the. I bought a, a package deal that gave me their toolkit, so I have like forty-seven of those different fiddly um, screwdriver tips now. I have ones that are so tiny I can't even make out what's on the tip <laughs> of it, or some of the internal screws. So. Uh, if you've got one of those laptops, yeah, a good a good rule of thumb on that is if if your machine is five years or older, you know, if if it's if it's approaching five years old, there's a very good chance that Apple's going to stop supporting that machine. So because once once it's beyond the five year mark, Apple starts to tends to start dropping machines that they'll repair and support. So if 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 you're wondering about that and you're sitting there with an older machine and thinking, yeah, I need to, I'm going to have to get this fixed sooner or later, you might have to go to find a third party way to do it. Oh, and also a so. tip for folks. I've mentioned this before because I discovered this by accident and then talked to um, Apple Store, like former Apple Store employees and some current ones who said, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a great thing. Is um, Apple has an all inclusive repair price for most of its models, even if you're not under warranty or if you're out of warranty. So if you haven't done, uh, if you're out of the first year Apple Care, three year extended Apple Care, or you're beyond three years, uh, you can go in. And I don't know if this applies to every model. It may only apply to. And it, I mean, it's certainly the ones that are obviously within the end of not not past end of life. But um, they have a price that's if they send it off to a to a repair service instead of doing it in house. So I had a Mac uh, MacBook Air that was out of warranty. I'd forgotten to buy Apple Care for it. Um, I may be a foolish person, but I always buy Apple Care for my laptops and never for anything else. And it has panned out beautifully because every laptop has required uh, at least one repair that would have exceeded the Apple Care cost over a three year period. Um, you know, often just from parts wear, not just uh, not like bad manufacturer because Apple will cover that often under extended, um, you know, initial warranties. Uh, but so you can pay this one price. And so I went in with this thing and they're like, well, it'll cost us, you know, it cost you like $850 <laughs> to repair this because we got to do this and this, and this, or you could pay uh 200 and something dollars and we'll send it off. You'll get it back in about a week. And that includes anything we find. And I'm like, well, um, I like the option right. of that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know it's not exactly a secret. They don't, I don't think they advertise that as an option because Apple doesn't really advertise its price list for repair, but uh, so if you've got something that's nearing end of life and you might check and it has multiple problems and you're thinking, I want to use this for a bit more and it's worth investing a few hundred dollars to get it back up to speed, then uh, you should check with uh, an Apple store and uh, or buy Apple's uh, phone support and see if you could send it off and they'd replace you know a monitor issue or a keyboard or whatever and do it under that all-inclusive uh, lower price. Uh, but may also be – I also recommend folks, if you got an older machine and it's not – it's being a little funky, if you can put more memory in it, just stick more memory, put an SSD in, tune it up. I know a lot of folks who are like, yeah, I was about to get rid of this and I stuck an SSD in and now it's like 10 times faster <laughs> because it turns out it was all – it's 5,400 RPM hard drive was making it slow. So now i got an SSD and uh, there we go. Uh, well, moving on. So WWDC, uh, Roman, there's we've got three stories uh, either out or coming out by the time people listen to this about uh, wish list. But Roman, isn't Apple perfect? Certainly, there's nothing more we could imagine uh, to improve upon this perfection in future iterations of uh, all the OSs. But we're going to see announcements about four different uh, operating systems. What, what does Apple need to do to, to make people happy at this point? Mm, that's a good question. You know, it's, you know, I, there's a good, to me, there's always this weird balance of new features and 
kind of fixing what's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a nice mixture of both is always good because you need the new features because you have the keynote in the keynote while it's a developers conference and it's supposed to be for developers and feasible, you know, there's supposed to be features that developers want. Truly, the, the keynote showcases features that everybody will kind of relate to and say, wow, and, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, the keynote is the, is the dog and pony show for, for us. And then the nitty gritty of the, of the rest of the uh, WWDC, because they have other presentations there, if people aren't familiar, uh, that show that really get deep down that, you know, people may be like, Glenn and I might get more excited about, but uh, maybe uh, the general public may not be uh, necessarily into it because it's just kind of a deep dive. So it's, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see stuff for the Mac because I tend to be more Mac oriented than iOS oriented. Uh, although I love my iPhone, it's, uh, you know, I tend to be more Mac oriented because mostly because I'm interested to see what their philosophy is with it going forward with, you know, with iOS and implementing more iOS features, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got Microsoft and their surface products and their touch UI, you know, and how will they compete with that? I don't even know if that's, they, I don't think they consider it really competition, but it certainly makes a lot of noise. And, you know, I, I've used a, uh, a surface here. I forget which one it is, but, but it's a nice machine, and the Touch UI is a very interesting thing, and I liked it a lot. I did switch back to using my Mac eventually. But, um, yeah, you know, Windows isn't as uh, maybe kludgy as people used to think it is if you haven't used it in a long time. So, you know, to me, to be to be perfectly honest, I think Mac OS has gotten kind of stale. So I feel like there's there needs to be something... I don't know what, but it needs to be something, in terms of Mac OS, there needs to be something about it that kind of grabs everybody and makes everybody excited about Mac OS again. iOS, I think, kind of takes care of itself mm-hmm. because it's just so, it's, it's just so widespread. And I mean, that's what's getting everyone's attention. Apple pays, I think, most of its attention to iOS. So I think that that'll take care of itself. Yeah, my biggest complaint with iOS right now is just uh, organizing apps on screens. I think the home screen metaphor is terrible. And that, I mean, but that's my biggest point of friction is finding apps, um, (laughs) launching them and like grouping things together so I don't have to like look across screens or search. Um, I mean, there's bugs like the spotlight. People are complaining again about spotlight search and iOS failing for them, which I've had fail at random times. It just won't work. And you're like, this is uh, incredibly crummy that a critical part of your system like i can use siri i'll say you know ahoy telephone <laughs> so don't trigger everyone's phone um <laughs> stole that from jason style uh ahoy telephone you know um launch whatever app and it works and i'll go to spotlight at the, the exact same moment and it will not come up with that app in a search will come up with nothing in a search so there's that's a long-running problem that should be fixed, but that's different than uh, improving it overall. I mean, but when I'm talking about app management being the feature that really annoys me the most, some people really want a file system in iOS. They feel like the time has come to expose it more, not to like be able to go into system folders, but more like to give um, you know f- uh, cloud-based access to discrete locations instead of the. Um, 
instead of the approach that's been taken where you have to use a third-party app like Dropbox to be able to manage files. And the fact that millions and millions of people have third-party apps installed that are basically glorified. I mean, you know, Dropbox is a lot more now, and and it's great on the desktop in a way that iCloud is not. But that said, um, a lot of people are using cloud-based sync apps, you know, Google Drive and Dropbox and Box, other things, you know, even if it's not for a company purpose, like they have to install it to access there, they're using it as a way to have file storage access. And um, that feels well overdue. And I know Apple doesn't want to expose complexity to people, but I think they've done a good job of being able to shade complexity so that you can hide, you know, people who don't want that never have to see it. People who do, it's available um, or it needs to be enabled or something like that. And it's pretty discoverable. Hey, hey, it looks like you're trying to do this thing. Do you want to turn on this feature? You can always turn it off later. Uh, so uh, Apple, I mean, gosh, what was I showing some the other day? And they were shocked that it existed and they thought they would never have found it in a bazillion years. I think I was showing my wife something and I was walking her through the steps Um and it was uh, forgetting the thing. It was in the Mac, and they were just thought like, "How would anyone ever find this?" I'm like, I don't know. I know because I was doing something and discovered it a couple of years ago, and I didn't know it existed. And um, uh, I still enjoy teaching people how to make a long dash character on a Mac keyboard. I mean, that's the level because that's not very discoverable either. Um, so we've got uh, an Oscar Ramondo story uh, I'm looking at right now um, about uh, TVOS, uh, the kinds of things that could be put there because. Roman, I don't know about you. I, I, do you have a fourth-generation uh, Apple TV at home? I don't. I, I have to admit, I don't use Apple TV. Congratulations. I, <laughs> <laughs> I actually I, – I do. <laughs> I use a TiVo for – and you know, TiVo, and the only real service I use is Netflix. And uh, so that's – and I still have my cable service because I like to watch sports. So, uh, so yeah, and that pretty much does it for me. I don't – I don't use TVOS or, or TV app, Apple TV, embarrassingly. But I think I might have to, you know, especially if they come out with some new compelling new features. Yeah, yeah. For it, so I might have to. So, but it sounds like uh, maybe I maybe uh, I should rethink that based on your experience. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is the thing. I've had so many conversations with Susie and I talked about TVOS a lot over the last uh, couple of years, and the Apple TV. And um, I, you know, I, I, it's the my least favorite product that I use all the time. Um, maybe Skype is number two and Skype, sorry, not, Skype is number one and Skype is so much worse, but it has so much functionality and it, it's the best worst thing out there. Apple TV is not terrible, but it's, uh, continuously frustrating in a way that no other Apple product has ever continuously frustrated me. I mean, I've learned how to deal with its problems, but it's, it hasn't gotten better as fast as I've gotten aggravated with it. And I think a lot of people have that experience. And um, Oscar listed off a, a bunch of things. You know, like this, the fact that it, it has weird Siri implementation. You've got the Siri remote, that you can't use it the way that you can use other, like Siri is different. Siri is different in iOS, macOS, and tvOS. And that seems wrong. Unapple-like. It seems very unApple-like, yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like another, like a Microsoft problem, right? Like they siloed these divisions and then and Microsoft is better at integrating features now across. Um, but, and then there's features that are in iOS that would be more logical in tvOS, like picture-in-picture picture that aren't there. There's the thing about um, uh, multiple users because multiple people, you know, Netflix and other uh, Hulu, other apps now have profiles. So you can have, uh, you know, your kid's profile, your spouse, you know, Uncle Tom, whoever's sharing your house, Aunt Philly, they're all going to have different profiles. And you can't do that on a 
you, I mean, I've thought for a long time iOS needed a profile option. It's appalling to me that they release – at this point, they sort of pretend, especially an iPad. Maybe an iPhone wouldn't have the feature enabled, but an iPad, the idea that it's for one person, there's some percentage of the audience that's for, but almost everyone I know with multiple people in the house, even two people who have an iPad, it's a shared device at least some of the time. And tvOS even more so. Uh, and ostensibly, there was a, uh, a leak about this that maybe there'll be uh, tvOS will offer profiles, uh, tvOS 11 that ships, and that would be great. Um, I also wanted to link to uh, my friend Joe Rosensteel, who uh, is a fellow member of the uh, Incomparable Podcast Network. Um, he wrote uh, every year. <laughs> Joe works in the uh, film industry and uh, special effects artist, and uh, if I'm getting that right, detail right. And he um, – He's been writing about tvOS. He writes about ultra high definition or 4K television, and uh, uh, he's written about tvOS for an Apple TV for years because he wants it to be good. He's an Apple product user. He likes Apple products. He wants it to be good, and so he writes um, this year. He writes his wish list, and it actually has a fair amount of overlap with Oscars. You know, picture in picture. He'd like an interactive programming guide, multitasking, uh, Apple ID switching. Uh, backup and restore, which is something that I've heard from a number of people. There's no mm. way to back up your Apple TV. So ostensibly, there's nothing per se on it except if you're a gamer and you've downloaded, you know, a gigabyte or two of data or something and other cache things that might be stored there. But just being able to get back exactly to where you left off, not having to set one up from scratch, there's a reason to be able to do a backup. And it's got a USB, you know, Roman, it's got a USB-C connector on it, right? I mean, it's in yeah, the back. It a is mysterious USB-C connector that nobody really knows what it's for. Oh, oh! I use it for this one thing I use it for. I plug it USB-C to USB-C into my MacBook and I can cap do screen captures via QuickTime Player uh, or uh, movie ah. captures from it. So when I'm doing articles about Apple TV, I don't have to do photos. I can actually record it and then take grabs from the movie that I make. So that is the only use <laughs> I know of. But ostensibly, you can just plug it into something like plug it into a Mac and iTunes or backup or Whatever, um, but so but Joe has Joe is a, uh, has an excellent um, cynical turn of phrase, and uh, he I do not like the Siri remote. I think the Siri remote is a terrible thing, and it's embarrassing that it was shipped. And um, my wife had it the other day. We were watching some TV. She picks it up, and I'm literally trying. I'm like, you know, I don't want to be the remote control hoarder. So she's like, wait, how do I go forward? I'm like, oh, put your finger on the right edge. I'm like, no, not the top right edge, the middle right edge. Like where? Like, well, there's this sensitive area at the top that's a slightly different color. And she's like, why? Did, why? Why? I'm like, I don't know. Um, so Joe, I just want to read Joe's sentence because it's so good <laughs> about the Siri remote. This remote was an abomination that should never have made it out of the design lab it was drafted in. It was conjured up by designers from another world who only had TV remote controls described to them using words in their native tongue. Uh, and then it goes on to say, I want something that can be held comfortably, doesn't shatter, and has asymmetry you can feel to know what you're holding, what you're pushing without looking at the tiny monolith. I wanted it in 2015. Still want it. Um, it's, and he also points out the touch surf surface does not actually work very well. I'm constantly having trouble with it. Um, the, the related thing is, you know, uh, Roman, you have a TiVo, and I know there's a lot of people out there who have other streaming things um, like Amazon Fire and uh, Roku. Stick. Yeah, Roku has done a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, uh, Chromecast and various incarnations. My Samsung uh, TV I have has Amazon Video and Netflix built in as like software subsystems. And while I don't like the interface is that much. It's still at some level, they're, a, they're a little better than what I can get through any other way. 
Um, but I just feel like, uh, I feel like Apple has fallen behind compared to these other streaming services and compared to, uh, or interfaces and devices and capabilities. And tvOS has a lot of hardware capability that should be better. So, well, you got to remember for the longest time, Apple TV was just a hobby. I know that was Steve Jobs's worst criticism of a thing that hasn't found its niche. Right. And Uh, I used to think that, you know, that was Steve Jobs's way of saying, yeah, we do this thing. You know, it's, it's not a primary (laughs) and it's, and it should have been, and maybe, and I didn't think it, I was a, you know, I thought that was more just smoke that smoke to like not draw attention to it just in case it didn't do well. Exactly. I agree. Right. But now that it's the, you know, this is the era of the new television, you know, it it had a chance to be at the forefront and, you know, I don't want to say it's way behind, but it's not standing uh, uh, head and shoulders above the rest. And I guess that whole hobby philosophy affected it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a shame. So I but, think so. You know, maybe you know, I might be comp- if if Apple does something at WWDC, I might be compelled to <laughs> try it, try it, and be frustrated with the remote and everything like that. It's so. got an Apple tax on it too, though, because at one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars for the two sizes, it's pretty pricey compared to a Chromecast and other things, and which have more capabilities in some ways, but they're not part of the Apple ecosystem so apple's charging you more to have essentially airplay streaming and a few other special features um you know the rumor is that it'll have uh, amazon video is coming there were a lot of discussion about that leaks coming out that uh in the fall so ostensibly not until tvos 11 ships you'll be able to use amazon video uh and um there's still issues about what's integrated into the TV app and single sign-on, which remains frustrating. So if you have a cable provider that hasn't agreed to, or TV channels, uh, or uh, what are the premium or uh, not premium channels, whatever you call them, like uh, the channels that aren't part of broadcast, I guess. Like still- HBO. Well, and- HBO is premium. What do you call like Garden or HGTV and those things? Oh, those are like kind of like pay like channels or something, right? They're they're, Aren't they part of the basic cable package? Yeah, they're, so they're not broadcast, but they're not premium, but you pay for them to get access the to them. Cable TV, right. Yeah, cable, cable TV. We'll call them cable TV. So the, yeah. those channels, not so not all the channels and not all the cable providers are aligned with that. And uh, that's not all Apple's doing, obviously. It's probably cutting deals all the time. But um, when you can sign into Xfinity or Time Warner or whomever, uh, and you do that one sign-in and then all of your tvOS apps recognize that you have access so your sci-fi and um, HBO and whatever subscriptions you have all work I mean that's going to be a great day because then the whole thing stops being an exercise in frustration and having to um uh, like go over to your machines like take this code that's on screen then go to your Mac and type go to this URL then type in that code but you have to activate flash <laughs> then when you do then you go back and wait for your TV to activate the app with you and you're like no no uh, so we can hope for that. Um, but the Amazon video thing would be a big deal. And, uh, the, oh, and the other one, the TV app, uh, a lot of people have talked about this, that the TV app doesn't include listings and programming from Netflix and some other apps, although it has a number of them now. And there's a question of how, of what Apple needs to do or can it do anything to get Netflix to incorporate its, you know, essentially metadata uh, in and whether Amazon will do that as well, because then the TV app would be amazing. And um, I mean, right now I've got Amazon Prime, so I get Amazon Video services. I have a Hulu subscription to watch um, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. I've got, I just signed up, oh, this is embarrassing, Roman. I have Showtime to watch Twin Peaks. 
And I have a subscription <laughs> to Stars to watch American Gods. And at some point, I'm going to cancel a bunch of those. I'll, I'll binge watch or I'll cancel and come back in like three months and catch up. But like American Gods is, I think, four episodes out. So I'll watch it for like a month. I'll watch six or seven episodes and maybe walk away and come back. Because all, they're all relatively inexpensive. They're like 9 or $12 a month. And suddenly I'm like, I'm spending $50 a month on premium channels. It's too much. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but uh, having all that integrated into one place, if on my Apple TV, I can have all of that pulled together for all the different balkanized systems I can use. That'd be great. Um, before we go too long, I was going to talk about, um, uh, and we already kind of talked about iOS and how it's in better shape. Uh, I wrote a very long piece for you <laughs> about my, like, how about a wish list story for macOS? I'm like, oh, I got a, a few ideas. And I solicited, <laughs> uh, I, on Twitter, I asked people for their thoughts too and got some really great notions too, things I hadn't thought of. But um, uh, we should talk about this briefly. I mean, Roman, iTunes has been kind of an embarrassment for a long time. Do you think Apple is going to finally – this time, take the initiative and maybe break it up into like de silo or, or silo it. Like, take all the apps that we have in iOS essentially and duplicate them and add, like, bring back iSync for just the sync and backup stuff that people are, don't use very much anymore. They need to. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's preventing Apple from doing that. I, I don't know if it's just, you know, just being, just, being afraid to, or just they think it actually works. Nobody, you know, I've never talked to anyone on the iTunes development team to get their, uh, get their ideas on what's preventing this from happening. But yeah, it's just, it's outdated. It needs to be broken up. It needs to, it's not functional anymore, really. And it, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know what, what needs to happen. Maybe the next major, you know, is it, is it something they're saving for the next right. OS update? I don't know. I, you know, it's it's weird. Why? You know, maybe maybe we'll see it at WWDC. Yeah, I don't wouldn't know, that be amazing though? If you that, just saw... yeah, if that's that's you know, if they wanted to make some real noise other than you know showing off OS features, if they would just you know introduce, hey, here's a new podcast app, and you know, or, you know, do a similar thing when they when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. It, it's it's you know. We're 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 separating iTunes into all these different apps, and it's gonna make make your life a whole lot better. And you know, it's yeah, it needs to be broken up. Everybody thinks it needs to be broken up. I don't know if Apple thinks the same way, or maybe they do think the same way, and they're just afraid to do it. But it's it's long overdue. Yeah, the uh, it, I mean, how long have people been saying this? Like seven years? I mean, you know, we're, yeah. we're at the tenth anniversary of the iPhone, but I think iTunes has been unwieldy for a long time, and and especially when they have a model, they figured out how to do it in iOS. It's not like it's confusing. Like there was a maturity on iOS on exactly where to split functions, and now generally okay, not perfect, but. Uh, yeah, I, well, we'll see. I think it's my my issue is that I think it's so deeply wrapped up in like file storage and system integration that maybe we are going to see another couple, you know, another release like iOS 10.14 might have it, which would be a bummer. But um, but so folks, you know about that. I also I wondered if Apple would put a TV app into macOS because they never promised that, right? The TV TV app is an iOS, yeah. and because uh, remember Front Row? I was trying to remember the name of it. I had to go dig around right. to find it. <laughs> I kind of love Front Row, and there's no reason for Apple to do a Front Row today, except um, there could there could be some purposes for it. I was thinking um, in terms of uh, in my article. I mentioned a bunch of cross 
uh, platform uh, integrations that would be useful. And I was thinking, even if tvOS for macOS, like tvOS for macOS could be useful for people without an Apple TV, but even if it was a kind of console for your Apple TV, so you could use an app on your Mac to um, find programs, set stuff up, maybe make a playlist, and then push that to your Apple TV. So you wouldn't necessarily have like a remote control screen look at it. Uh, or, or that plus you could use it as a way to airplay, like manage airplay connections to your Apple TV. Um, because I feel like that's still a weak thing that it's system wide. You can do certain kinds of things in apps for airplay, but the fact that you have to go and use a display thing to switch it over. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, friends, uh, Steven Strabansky, uh, said, um, he would love to have what they have for Chromecast where you can take an individual tab in Chrome and stream it to Chromecast. And that is to me is amazing. Like why can't I have a tab in Safari, which Apple controls and stream the tab, like just select airplay this tab to in full screen mode to my TV instead of having to like move screens around or mirror or do whatever. So it's room for integration there too. Um, we talked about a bunch of the photos features and um, one thing I get just by the way, and, and listeners, I think you may have encountered this because I get so much email about it. Um, I've gotten several emails lately. I should say not, I haven't gotten them for a long time, but apparently it's just starting to annoy people. Uh, Roman, have you ever used the media picker in an open dialogue box? I'm putting you on the spot because mm. I have not, I did not use this until last year. I kind of forgot it even existed and discovered it. I have to say no, but uh... It's a, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's a terrible discovery thing. It's down at the bottom <laughs> of the sidebar on the left. The open dialog box is the thing that says, I don't even say, I think it says media. It's, um, yeah. So I've got a bunch of stuff in my sidebar under favorites. I've got shared. I've got devices. Way down at the bottom, media, it says music, movie, photos, and movies. And if you click it, it gives you access to the libraries that are on your, that are associated with those apps on your system. And it's great. Uh, I mean, sort of if you're using iMovie, it gives you access to the same thing through its internal interface. But so if you're in um, a website and you're trying to find a photo to upload, or you're using tw a Twitter app, or uh, you're in Microsoft Word or something like that, and you're trying to find an image to drop in, but it's terrible. But I, people apparently are discovering it and they're writing me like, I found this great feature and I click photos and it lets me select among, um, like it shows aperture photo, like if you have aperture installed, but show iPhoto photos, you can click one of those and then it will, you know, they said, but nothing ever happens. And I have uh, 50,000 photos in my photos library and it's relatively speedy in the app, but the media picker doesn't work. And I'm thinking of all the things like to just to be able, cause you can't in some apps will let you copy an image from photos and then paste it, but not all will the, re the rich media pasting doesn't always work. And I'm like, that seems like a basic inner application thing. Like make that work better. Um, but I, and I wouldn't have mentioned it except that I've heard from people lately who seem to be frustrated with it. And, um, I, you know, I'll let people read the whole article, but I, I, I think another thing I had, I was talking earlier about integration across OSs and, um, you and I have a lot of complaints about iOS, macOS, tvOS missing pieces. And, and I can't get Roman white home kit why there's no macOS component of that. Does that make any sense to you that we have to use only iOS devices or, or an Apple TV as a hub, but we have no access to HomeKit from a Mac? You know, it kind of makes sense in that theoretically you would always have your iOS device with you. You would always have your phone with you. So 
you know, you're not, so if I'm walking down the hall and I need to adjust my lights, I'm not, I'm going to pull out my phone and, and do that, you know, as a theoretical situation. So yeah, I, I understand the logic of that. You know, the thing is, I'm sure Apple's developing all this stuff on a Mac. So why not, why not just put it out there if, yeah. if it's, if it's available and maybe if people don't use it, fine, it's not going to. It's not going to affect you one way or Apple one way or another. So why not just put it out there? So, you know, it'd be nice if I was at my desk and I wanted to control something while I was using my Mac, not have to pull out my phone. So exactly. Yeah. That's what I think is an issue is that it just is exactly that is that there's a, there's a point at which, um, you feel like it's just there's something missing as opposed to a practical reason. Like if they'd said HomeKit doesn't make sense in a Mac because blah, it's like, well, I understand that. But like I have a Mac running all the time in my house, but the only way for me to do remote um, – some of the remote operations for a, a HomeKit, you have to have an iPad running that is always in the house or – you uh, have to have an Apple TV, uh, fourth or I think it's fourth generation or later for some things, and third generation running some version or later. I forget. There's a couple of limitations there for different features, but like scheduling and um, sharing access require these hubs. Your Mac can't be a hub, and I'm thinking, well, that's weird, right? Like I understand it's great that an iPad can be a hub, and you don't need an Apple TV, but why can't my Mac be a hub? For these features, if I've got one, it's always on. Or it could be in sleep mode. It could still be doing it because the Apple TV in sleep mode can still act as a hub, as can the iPad. So I also want – and this sounds a little funny with the touch bar out there now. I want Touch ID in iOS to be able to work more with macOS, even if I don't have a device with Touch ID in in it. Uh, so I have an old laptop or I've got a Mac Mini or whatever um, – I like how Safari uh, – have you used that feature, Safari, uh, uh, Apple Pay in Safari? I, I've only used it a number of – I mean, I've used it a number of times now, but I kind of love it. I've only used it a couple times, and it's it's been a while since I've used it again. So it, it's it's been a long time since – yeah. It's um, – but I think it's – yeah, it's, it, I'm finding more and more sites are building it in um, into uh, – well, that's funny. I realize I'm using it in iOS where I'm not using – um, Apple Pay through a, a near field contact thing. Like I'm not near a pay thing. There's an app in t in Seattle. We just adopted um, what's it called? Pay by phone. The ironically named Pay by phone, which you can pay by app. Uh, they the city just switched over where all of the meters are available for. Um, uh, you can use it for free. They're charging a fee per use, but no fee if you used, uh, you know, if you used a ticket printer next to the meter. And now they just made it free. And so I use the app all, all the time. Like, why am I going to put quarters or a credit card into one of these clunky solar powered devices that's scratched up and I can't read? I'm going to use my app and the app then notifies you. You can extend your parking from it and all that. But they've mm -hmm. chosen that, you know, you can use a credit card that's built into that you've programmed into the app or you can Apple pay in the app. So I'm actually using something like in app payment with touch id and i sort of love it and i want and i you know when i can do that on a mac it's great too is there's a couple sites i go to where they have apple pay integrated for things that you know i don't have recurring purchases and i love being able to use my phone for it but i'm thinking there's a lot of security purposes and other kinds of things that would be great like unlocking my safari keychain in safari when i need to look up an actual password and see it that would be great as well because they already have that conduit to my iphone um yeah they can make it better I just realized the story at draft I gave you as I'm looking at it, there's a sentence that doesn't have an end to it. So I'll be fixing that before it goes live. I probably, I'm sure you'll find it somewhere in those many thousands of words, but I'm like, it's important in an era of 
Well, I'm like, ah, okay, maybe I didn't totally finish the story. Uh, it'll be done by the time you read it, guys, uh, listeners. Um, so there's a number of security and other kinds of things that I've built in here that are uh, more specialized in um, issues that people have about. Um, Steve Aquino has been a regular contributor to Macworld and other publications writing about accessibility and uh, baseball. Uh, Steve uh, would like the dynamic type feature that's in iOS that allows automatic relative resizing that you can control through the accessibility uh, settings. Uh, he'd love that in Mac OS. And and that is pretty cool because no two people have the same eyesight. There's, <laughs> and uh, many of us uh, once had what was considered perfect eyesight and no longer do. And being able not to have to poke in every app or to poke for system-wide settings that just bump everything up, but dynamic type is really slick in iOS, and that would be a great feature to bring. So a bunch of things like that suggested by people and uh, that I think will make sense. And I'll look forward to folks' feedback. But I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode, possibly. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting week next week. So, It'll be busy. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll be recording on Tuesday, so we'll know stuff about the keynote and won't have all the announcements. But usually the rest of the week is less news and more like bits and pieces coming out. And Apple's uh, – they have a different embargo as of the last couple of years, right? Because it used to be everything discussed at WWDC was private. It was under NDA until a certain point. And now am I right that they only have certain briefings uh, for programmers that are – protected and others are totally or is everything now completely available i think it is a mix i don't because they make some of the uh, presentations available online although i think you have to have a developer account there's some things you can get without though i've gone there's uh, you know, some presentations and they're just they're on the site but you don't log in to get them and others you do right. so we may be able to get more information out um because that's right. my recollection is i think two years ago they changed their policy so let uh, so instead of everything being under nda only certain things were yeah um, which so. is good for developers too all right well roman great to talk to you again thanks for having me it's a pleasure and folks uh thank you for listening to episode 561 of the macworld podcast from may 31st 2017 you know where to find us macworld.com email us podcast at macworld.com find us on facebook at facebook.com slash macworld and on twitter at macworld and uh, we'll be back to talk to you next week about all the happenings at wwdc